Hi everyone, this is Ben Ward of BFF.FM's Eclectic Heddle. You're listening to a special extra release that we're putting out this week, uh, which is my full interview with Griff Reese, uh, lead singer of Super Furry Animals, and currently on tour here in the US uh, to promote his new album, Babelsberg. He'll be playing here in San Francisco on October the 23rd, which is this coming Tuesday. Uh, and uh, we played parts of this interview live on Eclectic Kettle on October 16th. Uh, this is the, the fuller version where we discuss his tour, the recording and the album, and the efforts that went into the big string production uh, that really defines the sound. Uh, we reminisce about his previous appearance at the chapel that he remembers well, and uh, also discuss his recent, uh, more politically pointed songs about Brexit and the National Health Service in the UK, uh, touch on his songwriting philosophy and motivations, and inevitably get a bit stuck in a wreck on Brexit as we despair. I want to say a huge thank you to Leslie Hampton, uh, who has uh, guest DJed Eclectic Cattle before uh, with me, but uh, she's uh, over at the Almag uh, magazine and uh, was instrumental in helping us put this interview together. Uh, you can check out thealmag.com um, for their show previews uh, and other coverage. And finally, BFF.FM has two pairs of tickets for Griff's October 23rd show to give away. Check out BFF.FM for giveaway details. It's trivially easy for you to enter. Uh, I hope you enjoy the interview. I hope you enjoy his show. Remember, the album is Babelsberg. It's out now. Uh, and you can uh, listen to more great community radio here from the heart of San Francisco at bff.fm. Uh, hello, Griff. Hello. Hi, it's Ben Ward from BFF.FM here. Um, is now still a good time to talk? Yes, yeah, I've completely forgotten, but it's great. Oh, good, good. <laughs> I'm calling you from... I'm British, obviously, but I'm calling you from San Francisco. Um, oh, wow. Well. Uh, just uh, in... Yeah, because you're, you're playing here in uh, on the 23rd, I think, that's right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And you're in DC now? Yeah, we 
on the way to DC. We've just driven past Baltimore, and I'm sat in the van, and we're headed down down the road to Washington. And we were just discussing the Washington anti-grid system. How how long have you been on tour now? Is it just just about a week over here? Yeah, we've been in North America, but we we did a couple of Canadian shows, and we. We're just uh, heading down the east coast, and then we're going to um, start to go west after tonight. Uh, wonderful, yeah, because um, I think I was looking at the dates, and I think your, your San Francisco show, you've got San Francisco and then LA, and, and then that's the end of the tour. So is it, are you even yeah. Are you even thinking much about that at the state at this point? Does it just kind of take every day, take yeah, the day as it comes? Yeah. No, very excited to um, to hit the West Coast, and you know the set will be. Um, I can't wait to see where you know how the set will have developed by then. And we've been uh, we've been rehearsing some new material on the road as well, so it's it's quite exciting and it's changing every night. And, oh, that's uh, great. Yeah, so looking forward to uh, bringing it, bringing it to the chapel. Yeah, and you because you played the chapel last time you played solo. Cause I think the the Super Fairies were in town a couple of years ago. I think that was actually you played the Super Fairies played on my birthday two years ago, which I appreciate very much. Oh wow! Uh, that was a oh, that was a nice present for me. Um, but um, oh. yeah, you toured American Interior two years before that, also at the chapel. Do you have particular memories of the venue? Yeah, it was my favourite show of that tour. Um, I started introducing historical reenactments mm-hmm. into into my shows, and I think that's that was the high point of uh, that endeavour. It was particularly memorable at the chapel. It was um, so much fun. People really kind of got involved. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was quite quite a few people on stage but yeah uh yes yeah because there were the two people performing with the puppet i remember it, it, yeah yeah it was, uh, they were taking a, <laughs> a role of um, various historical characters from the 1790s <laughs> yeah um is there anything you're because I guess you're only going to be in town for a day, but is there anything you're looking forward to seeing in San Francisco when you make it? Yeah, the, I mean, I usually up on the mission there. I'll be say I'll probably there's some good galleries and stuff. The Rich of Three is up there, and. Um, I'll, I'll go and see if they've got something on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, some, uh, yeah, lots of interesting things in that area. I've never been to the LSD Museum either. I might, might do that. <laughs> I wanted to chat to you a little bit about the new record. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's right here. Um, one of the things, I mean, 
listen to it a lot. I, I really love it. One of the things that really struck me is you know, you've got a very recognizable voice and songwriting style. Something I really admire is that each of your solo records over the years has a pretty unique vibe. Um, there's some, you know, they 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 really seem to stand out from one another. Uh, this one's been really widely praised for the string arrangements and the uh, evocative uh, sort of sounds of the sort of 60s of sort of Serge Gainsbourg and Scott Walker and Lee Hazelwood kind of all wrapped up in, in that production. Do you approach each project with an intention to find something that's so new and different? Um, yeah, inevitably, I, you know, I, it's something I, um, yeah, I want every, every album to have a, a distinct character, um, you know, I, I suppose my ambition with this record is to try and make a whole album of the same from the same palette and um and try and stick to that um and, and not kinda of go off on too many tangents mm-hmm. in a way. Um that that's my downside in the studio is I, I get over excited. Um and uh but but yeah it, really you know disciplined and um i mean and i suppose songwriting's quite uh a slow moving medium so you know i'm i'm worried about writing the same song over and over again so mm-hmm. I try to find a way of keeping it new for myself at least mm. uh, and uh, it's not a particularly experimental record but I'm, you know I, I, I hope lyrically it engages a bit you know with the, with the present day so that it's not a completely Yeah. Um. Yeah, because it has these, it has this sort of slightly darker, bleaker lyrical themes throughout it than have jumped out of your previous records. Um, I was, I was actually back home in the UK a few weeks ago, and I, I caught a little bit of your uh, interview on the BBC with Mark Radcliffe, and oh, yeah. he. Um, you you remarked there talking a little bit about how he sort of said oh it's a it's a darker record and and you you pointed out that actually with the with the arrangements with the strings it, it comes out sounding actually quite uplifting and optimistic when you started yeah. 
did you did you did you have any idea you wanted it to end up like that? Was it working with Stephen McNeff that revealed that to you? Did you have to be persuaded to go in that direction, or did it sort of reveal itself to you? Yeah, I, I mean, when I was becoming it, I didn't have a. Uh, I just got a call from uh, a producer called Ali Chan to Bristol. Um, Wait, recorded with previously, I, and he just mentioned, you know, if I wanted to make any recordings, the, um, the studio's been knocked down. Yeah. In a few weeks. Um, and so uh, I'd play some of this material with uh, Cliff and Steve, the players of the record, uh, on the previous tour, and um, Oshan was played piano on my previous two albums now and uh, I you know we, we rehearsed a bunch of songs that have been put together I went to the studio for a few days um, and it, it was always my intention to add a certain amount of arrangements but um Coincidentally, I was working with a composer called Stephen McNeff. I was writing some lyrics for him mm-hmm. for a different project. And I sat in on one of the recording sessions, um, which was incredible, you know. Um, and so I sort of immediately passed him on the files of songs I was working on. Um, but in, in a way, because there was no shut deal or pressure from a label or anything, it's, I just kind of pursued the record mm-hmm. until it was finished rather than kind of um, rush it, you know. It's, uh, it, it, that's it took a couple of years. Right. But yeah, so, so it gave you that space to just explore that bigger sound. Yeah. It was... The songs are intimate, but they're pretty much live takes for the most part. And I, I overdid your vocal and Um, but but not to an extreme, um, and then uh, Stephen arranged the orchestral element, and they played live to the to the recordings, the previous recordings. Oh, interesting. Um, so it was. Um, although there's a lot going on, it's. They're kind of fairly simply recorded in a way, um, and not particularly polished. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I could have. Uh, it, there's still some damage in there. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really interesting because I was going to ask. Um, this 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 might not be much of a question now, but I was going to ask, given that you're now back on tour and you're not going to fit 
a 72-piece orchestra into the chapel, although I would like to see that. Um, whether there's been any sort of change to the music or evolution of what you're doing, sort of scaling it back down again to play it as a tour, because you're playing, you're touring with a band this time. Yeah, it's, it's the same band that played on the record. There's Cliff Skirlock on drums, Oshan Gwynedd on piano, Steve Black on bass, and th- that's the core of the album. I mean, they, they've allowed this things in the mix, mm. and uh, the, I suppose the, the challenge with mixing the album was fitting a symphony orchestra <laughs> into what a kind, kind of very intimate songs, mm. intimately recorded songs, and um, so we had to kind of tone down the scale of it sometimes. Um, uh, so it, it sounds remarkably full. Uh, Oshan's piano parts kind of fill the space and um, to the point where we don't need any kind of cant, mm-hmm. you know, uh, cant orchestral stuff or anything. Um, so it's, and, and it's continuing to evolve. It's, um, you know, we're stretching out different bits and mm-hmm. editing others. And, um, I've, I've rarely been able to play my studio's album live. Um, you know, immediately after recording them, but um, because of the, the kind of live nature of the recording, it's, it's uh, it, it really lends itself to to playing live. And, mm. um, there was much studio trickery uh, on, on this particular record, uh, as opposed to my other records. I'm not going to mm. have a lot of studio experiments. That makes sense. And so, do you feel? Do you feel that the the, the live sound goes back to sort of more resemble some of those original sessions, or does this sound like something altogether new? Uh, no, they're, they're very similar to the original sessions. We, we, um, I think we're going to try and release those early versions. At some point in the future, because um, mm. they, they do sound great and completely different, you know. Um, and um, and now and again, we're able to do some orchestral shows. We have the scores, and whenever an orchestra is interested, we can we can do an orchestral version. Right, because you played it in Manchester not long ago, right? Yeah, we've done we've done a version in Cardiff with the full um, symphonic orchestra, um, and then we've played some smaller with some smaller orchestras in London and Manchester, um, and I suppose that's. Yeah, we have those manuscripts now, and you know, if anyone's got an orchestra, <laughs> call, call us up. You know. We will put out the call. 
that's wonderful. Um, I wanted to ask you um, about um, a couple of other pieces of music you've put out um, fairly recently. Because, um, uh, so one of the things over over your career and history with the Sufos and everything, like you've you've grown into writing songs with clearer and clearer sort of social commentaries. Um, I've been thinking a lot about Presidential Suite recently with Brett Kavanagh and Ken Starr in the news. But it's in the last couple of years you've written I Love You and recently you put out No Profit in Pain, um, which strike me as being a step into writing songs with a, a sort of really overt political message um was there something that drew you into that specifically or artists that inspired you to be more direct did that just happen um with i love you um i i just happened to write the song um i mean it's a really bad play on words <laughs> Um, and, but I thought there was a song there and, it, and sometimes when you have a, a lyrical idea a simple lyrical idea the, the song can write itself almost in, in a very short amount of time mm-hmm. if, you, if you run with an idea and it was just one of those kind of stupid songs that I was able to write in a in a few minutes, and then I had kind of no intention of writing it, you know. Um, <laughs> and I think that's you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of downsides to you know streaming services, obviously. Um, but I mean, one of the more interesting aspects of it is is that you're able to release music almost immediately Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, there was a referendum going on and very little engagement in the referendum uh, from my peers I think Uh, or from you know because it it was a kind of referendum. It was a agenda that was being set by, you know, by uh, conservative politicians and right-wing politicians, and understandably, a lot of sane people just didn't want to touch it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was also worried that there was very, very little engagements from so the thing I really appreciated about you recording that song because I you know I watched the referendum happen living over here in the US and I mean I you know I went and registered to vote I voted in it my constituency is yeah. back back in Cambridge and but it, it was really it was really brutal watching that happen from so far away and feeling even more disconnected from 
you know, trying to stand up for, uh, you know, st- stand standing up for for the sort of principle of being in Europe, and you know, for all of its, it might it has some flaws as an institution and so on and so on, but absolutely, yeah, but that actually being closer to our continental neighbours is actually a good thing and watching the watching the campaign the thing which really upset me was that you had all these voices who were anti-europe and angry and active and then you had a whole load of voices that were just sort of passive and there were very few people standing up to actually say europe is good it was kind of like it was this idea of like we should leave or we should just shrug our shoulders. There was no, there was very few people saying, yeah. "Let's let's actually be proactive about this." And yeah, yeah. I, fe- I felt that there was nobody making uh, a cultural argument, mm-hmm. um, and that the the kind of set tone was by, by you know people leading the Remain campaign was kind of um, kind of playing along with a kind of anti-European xenophobia mm. um, to the point where the song seems almost confrontational you know um, to say something as daft as I love you. It's yes. like um, pathetically confrontational, um, and um, obviously, it, you know, when I've sang it live, I've been singing, you know, I love you with caveats, <laughs> you know, um, because obviously everybody. You know, everyone has different views on what the EU should be. It needs to be democratised. Um, you know, it could become a, a socialist EU. Um, it, de- it depends on what scale your ambitions are. And uh, I've got a lot of time, you know, for the left-wing argument on I'm leaving the EU, but I don't think the the tone or the terms of the referendum were set by the left. They were kind of mm-hmm. led by the uh, by a, a by the, the hostile right wing media um, in a time of crisis in Europe. You know with the Uh, a big a crisis with the movement of people from war zones in the Middle East and Northern Africa that were partly caused by European intervention in the first place, you know, and um, yeah. I, I kind of felt, a, I kind of feel it's a really bad time to be. Uh, leaving the EU. Yeah, I agree completely. With with these 
with that song and and with the with the with the NHS song, is there? Is it was it cathartic for you to put together those songs? Is it more motivated by trying to spread that message? Do you think of them as protest songs in that sort of classical sense? I mean, I don't think I'm a I'm a protest song writer in particular. Uh, I, I, is it right about? You know, I'm, I'm motivated by melody and rhythm and wordplay and mm-hmm. uh, and occasionally politics. You know, affects my daily life, and and they write. You know, they'll creep into song. Um, I was sort of commissioned to write a song to celebrate the seventieth birthday of and. Um, you know, it's had a profound impact on on my life. Yeah. And I, it was a kind of commission request that would be impossible to sit, to turn down. Anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to, to kind of not uh, agree to, to kind of help celebrate it would be a kind of... Um, You know, wasn't a kind of option for me. And mm-hmm. but I mean, having said that, I only wanted to do it if if a, a decent idea came of it. Um, and I, I played around with some ideas, and something came quite naturally. And so I, I was kind of happy to do it. And I thought the song was valid in that. I think I would have written it anyway. In a way, it, it would have been it would have been slightly less explicit, maybe. But <laughs> um, I don't know. But yeah, I, I, I felt justified to have some kind of justification of existing. Yeah. But but again, I, I like these kind of flippant songs that. I can kind of release and uh... in no problem pain. I, I I love the I love the little set of lyrics that you have that calls out Richard Branson and Virgin Health because there's something you know the the, the lyrics kind of jump out. There's sort of you know, recognizable names in there, so you're like, wait, what? But it's this. <laughs> It's the fact that you're referring to this very sort of nuanced and not very well known, uh, not well po- not well publicised threat to the NHS with the sort of shadow privatisation, um, and the fact that you managed to highlight that in there in that sort of lyrically playful way, um, I, I admire that a lot. <laughs> I, weirdly, we've just passed a, an ambulance here in here in DC that's broken down <laughs> and it's being picked up by a um, what do you call those tr- pickup trucks? That by a tow truck. Mm. Uh, a cliff to my left is just commenting. Uh, I hope there's no one in the ambulance. The sirens was was still flashing. 
Mm. Uh, I hope they're okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's calamitous. I'm pushed, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but um, if I could uh, just ask a couple more things just to sign off. Um, yeah. I was going to ask, um, is there a particular, going back to Babelsberg, is there a particular favourite track on the album that you'd like us to play on the on the radio show on, on Tuesday night? Yeah, I don't, I don't know, maybe I, I haven't heard Odia on the radio, I'd be intrigued to to hear what the third track or dear sounds like. All right. Um, would you be kind enough to to introduce it? Okay. My name is Griff, and I'm going to introduce you uh, the song from the LP that builds back. It's called Oh Dear. That's great. Thank you so much. Um, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, no, thank you. Um, I want to. Uh, I want to. It, it, it means a lot to me. So, uh, Super Fairy Animals was the very first live show I ever went to in my life when I was sixteen. My dad took me. Wow. Um, so it was the wow. would have been the Gorilla Tour at the Cambridge Corn Exchange. And um, oh, incredible! One, it was a really good first show, but I feel like I, I feel like I owe a great deal of my love of music to you and your band. So to get to talk to you is wow. like a real honour for me. So thank you so much. Ah, oh, thank you very much. Ah, oh, my boy. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I love the Con Exchange. Yeah, uh, I used to. I saw so for for a, for a small city. I saw so many good shows there growing up. It was yeah, punched above its weight. Yeah, I think we played there three or four times. Well, thank you again. Um, I hope you have a great show in DC. Thank you. Um, I will. I will. Um, I'll try and come and say hi um, when you're here in SF. I'll try and. Catch you Fantastic. Try and catch you at the merch table. Oh, thanks, Mr. I'll, I'll check out the the show if it's on, on the internet. Amazing. Well, great to talk to you. Have a great day. Have a great show. And you, t- thanks so much. Okay, take Thank you. Okay, bye now. Bye. That was Griff Reese in conversation with me, Ben Ward from BFF.FM's Eclectic Kettle. His record, Babelsberg, is out now. His show at the chapel here in San Francisco is on October 23rd. You can check out BFF.FM to uh, win one of two pairs of tickets that we're giving away for that show. Thank you again to Leslie Hampton at the Owl magazine uh, for helping set this up. And uh, you can tune in to more episodes of Eclectic Kettle by swinging by bff.fm slash shows slash Eclectic Kettle to listen to our archives, or we're broadcasting live at 8pm every Tuesday night. Tune into bff.fm, stream it online anytime for great local community music radio here from the heart of San Francisco. Thank you very much for listening. Uh... Have a great day.